Welcome to It Depends, a sales tax podcast by Tax Connects. I'm your host, Brian Greer, joined by my colleague, Jeff Meggs, and we're super excited that you've joined us today. Sales and use tax can be confusing and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. Whether you work in an industry or a CPA firm, or just someone who wants to stay informed about the latest sales tax laws, we've got you covered. Periodically, we'll explore different aspects of sales tax. So whether you're a tax pro or a novice, in industry, school, or a practicing CPA, tune in and join us as we attempt to simplify the complexity of the sales tax world. This is It Depends, because with sales tax, there's rarely just one answer. And often that's our answer to many questions. It just depends. I'm Brian Greer, and I'm joined here with one of my partners, Jeff Meggs. Um, if you're not familiar with Tax Connects, I'll, I'll give you just a kind of a quick overview of our firm. Um, but we uh, we do specialize in the we often say sales tax, but it's really the transactions tax arena. Of course, telecommunications tax being a big vertical market and focus uh, for our business. But we uh, we we provide really two different types of services here at Tax Connects. Uh, one is a consulting or advisory type of service. So a lot, a lot of times we're talking with um, telecom service providers, just helping them understand what their uh, tax requirements are on a state and local basis. Um, and then we also work on a ongoing basis in terms of providing a compliance outsourcing service where we uh, prepare and, and file all of the various uh, telecom returns, including the the regulatory reports, the um, state level filings, all of those fun local utility user taxes, 911 fees, all of those uh, taxes we uh, uh, report and file for our clients. Agenda today is really focused on some common misconceptions within the telecom industry. And over the last, I, I guess, 20 plus years that Jeff and I have, have operated in this telecom space, um, a few kind of common issues or, or questions pop up. And that's really what the focus is here today is just to kind of talk through some of those those common myths or misconceptions that we hear that if you um, subscribe to these, um, it can definitely get you sideways from a compliance perspective. So I'll, um, I'll turn it over here to Jeff for the, uh, the first myth. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, as Brian said, you know, we, we've probably experienced uh, multiple times each of these sort of myths as they've been outlined here in the agenda. The first one is probably a little bit more simple and, and probably not something that, that's caught most of our participants today off guard, but is voice over internet protocol delivered over the internet tax-free because it's basically over the internet? Um, the Internet Tax Freedom Act really was in, in, imposed by the federal government to minimize or eliminate those transactions taxes being imposed on Internet access. And so when we're talking about VoIP services transmitted via the Internet, it's not the VoIP service themselves or anything else that might be transmitted over the Internet for sale, software as a service, 
downloaded software, digital products, things of that nature. Anything sold where the the internet is leveraged as the delivery medium is is still going to get the same tax treatment. It's the internet service itself, access to the internet um, for purposes of engaging in whether it's research or, or commerce. Um, now, it is important to note that while the Internet Tax Freedom Act is intended to eliminate or prevent states from charging sales tax on internet access services, when the law was introduced, it was um, there were some states that were grandfathered in. There were a few states that had already established some taxes on internet services, and they were allowed to maintain or keep those taxes in place. Texas has has sort of a tax on internet access service. And I think there's one or two other states as well. Um, the other thing I think it's important to note is while the, the Internet Tax Freedom Act was really intended for internet services, it also encompassed state and local governments. And as Brian said, we, we're, we're in a business model here where we file a whole host of tax return types, those being state level and, and a lot of local level returns. Um, California, for example, doesn't apply sales tax to VoIP services. However, there are about 115 cities, some of which are counties actually, that do impose a tax on VoIP services. Uh, they're treated as communication services subject to what's called a utility user's tax. Uh, the rates can vary anywhere from four to I think nine, maybe 10% as high as 10% um, across all those jurisdictions in California. Um, but it's just important to note that sometimes the tax treatment of VoIP services can differ between the state level and the local level. Uh, there's some treatments in Louisiana at the parish level that differ from the state level. Um, and there's some other states where that, that can be the case. So just, just be aware of that. So myth one, VoIP delivered over the internet is taxable in the majority of the states. It is not tax exempt simply because it's delivered over the internet. Myth two, we aren't a telecom service provider, we're a reseller. So this sort of gets to the point of whether you're considered a utility or not. Um, and it is complicated. For example, you could be operating in a capacity where you own the fiber um, or the telephone poles and the telephone lines as we used to think of them. Um, and that infrastructure, cell towers, for example, um, there are entities that we know own that infrastructure and are distributing their services via that infrastructure. But there are also entities that are resellers of those types of services, resellers of communication services. They're leveraging that infrastructure of the upstream utility or the upstream telecommunications company in this case, um, but they don't own that infrastructure. Uh, they're essentially leasing it um, at some variable price. So um, the upstream carriers obviously have obligations that include state and local taxation, regulatory fees and, and service fees of that nature. Um, but if you're a reseller of those services and you're buying them and then delivering them to another end user consumer, you will step into the shoes of the telecommunications provider for purposes of sales and transactions taxes. Um, now there's, there's always little nuances when we get into sales and transactions taxes. Uh, Brian's gonna hit on a few of those here later on, but 
uh, essentially, on, if you're providing directly to a consumer communication services in any fashion, you should uh, become familiar with the level of taxation that may be applied. So myth two, resellers are just as taxable as a upstream or primary carrier. And Jeff, I'll, I'll add one point to that before I take up the, uh, the third piece here. We often talk with quote unquote resellers that are really brokers, meaning they're representing another telecom carrier. They're selling the service. However, the service is invoiced and delivered by the upstream carrier. And then that individual quote unquote seller or company that's acting really as a broker just gets a commission from the upstream carrier. So that scenario exists where the, the broker in that case doesn't necessarily have the obligation to uh, um, charge the applicable taxes or would not be considered the actual telecom service provider. So the, the third myth here is um, we don't have nexus, we don't need to collect or remit taxes. And, and this has come up um, more frequently for us, especially in light of some of the new um, you know, economic nexus standards that are in place. But a lot of times we're working with companies that are familiar with the historical, I guess, sales tax framework for nexus determination. So they're familiar with um, the physical presence standard. They're familiar with some of the new economic nexus standards. You know, of course, the physical presence being where you have employees, offices, inventory, things of that nature, maybe even where you travel uh, from a sales rep perspective or just uh, representing the business in general where you're traveling into other states. Then on the economic nexus front, we see, um, you know, more of the $100,000 of revenue sourced into a state or 200 individual invoices is kind of the standard there from an economic nexus perspective. So we, we see companies wanting to apply those types of standards um, also to the telecommunications service. However, in reality, what happens in the telecom world is that we see this concept that's uh, referenced here and referred to as um, attributional nexus. And Jeff had referenced with the upstream carriers, the various um, infrastructure that's in place. So you've got towers and, and fiber and switches and all of this equipment that's uh, representative within a particular state that enables the service provider to deliver their um, telecommunications service within the state. And so what the states have done is they've said, even though you don't own any of this infrastructure, we're going to essentially attach that infrastructure to you and where you're utilizing and leveraging that infrastructure, we're going to deem that you have nexus and therefore have the obligation to collect the applicable taxes. So, a lot of times when we enter into these discussions with companies that are providing telecommunications services, you know, we, we typically like to start in most scenarios with a nexus evaluation to identify what obligations a client may have. However, from a telecom perspective, the nexus evaluation gets really streamlined to a large extent where we say, essentially, wherever you have customers, 
you're deemed to have nexus and you're deemed to have the requirement to collect and remit the applicable taxes. So this, it's a, it's, it creates complications for a business, especially one, maybe a managed service provider that's been um, installing cabling and networks within businesses for you know the last 10 or 15 years. Um, now all of a sudden, um, their nexus footprint changes because they're delivering telecommunication services. Now all of the sales tax related items or all of the historical services and products that they've sold that maybe they didn't have nexus historically, now they have to start charging next or excuse me, start charging sales tax on all of those um, items as well because the delivery of the telecom service has created this attributional nexus and this uh, requirement to collect and remit the applicable taxes. We, we still look at this from a practicality perspective as well, meaning um, we always want to be aware of the materiality of what this is for, for a business. And we may not necessarily want to uh, collect and remit and register and do all of those compliance activities for a few dollars of tax, but the awareness of the risk is, is relevant uh, to make sure that we're monitoring that and making sure that we're um, you know, keeping up with that, so to speak. The next piece here, and again, we hear this one quite frequently, and it's really related to the reselling activity where most of the companies that we're working with you know, they're not the, the, um, the, I guess, the first carrier. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but it's, it's not the AT&T. It's, you know, it's not the major carrier that actually owns the infrastructure. Um, most of the companies that we're working with are these resellers that are essentially buying minutes uh, or buying some type of bandwidth, some type of service from the upstream carrier and then selling it downstream. Um, the best way I think to think about this in terms of, you know, whether the service provider um, is the upstream service provider in this case is really handling the, the taxes or not. I try to simplify it and just think of it in a traditional tangible personal property scenario, meaning um, if you are um, a retailer and you're purchasing tangible property to sell in your retail store, you're typically issuing some type of resale exemption certificate and purchasing those items on a tax exempt basis with the expectation that you're gonna charge the applicable taxes when you sell those to whomever you're, you're selling to. Now, what, what could happen is you could say even in that tangible personal property scenario that, hey, my um, upstream carrier or my vendor is charging me the sales tax so therefore, I'm only going to charge the sales tax on the markup. You know, I've already paid the sales tax once. Um, you know, on the wholesale amount, I'm just going to charge sales tax on the on the markup piece of it. What ends up happening, you know, the risk that a company runs in that scenario is that you get audited at some point in the future, and the auditor is going to assess you for the full amount of sales tax due on the retail transaction and force you to get a refund from your vendor where you've paid essentially that, that sales tax in error. Um, that can work to some extent, but if you get 
too far down the path and you've got a vendor that only allows you to go back six months or 12 months to claim a refund, now you're at a major disadvantage because you have paid the tax to the vendor. You can't get the refund to satisfy the audit claim. The same thing happens here from a, a sales tax, or excuse me, from a telecommunications services perspective, is that in theory, you should be purchasing on a tax exempt basis and charging the applicable taxes to your customer. The, the challenge or another challenge associated with telecom specifically here is that rather than only dealing with sales tax in the tangible personal property example, we're dealing with a lot of different tax types. So you've heard us reference, of course, the sales tax, but there's also a communication services tax. There are 911 fees. Jeff mentioned the utility users tax in, in um, uh, California. There are right-of-way fees in Texas. Um, Missouri has local license taxes. Every one of these uh, tend to require a different exemption form um, rather than just a single sales tax exemption. So a lot of times when you're working with your upstream carriers, they tend to have these exemption packages that they deliver to you that are very overwhelming. And I've seen some of those that are 40, 50 pages long with the different exemption certificates for the different states and the different tax types that you have to fill out. So, but again, the same concept exists here where we should be buying on a tax exempt basis and then charging, collecting, remitting the applicable taxes. Now there is, and you see here highlighted on the screen, there is a potential exception to the scenario in terms of, hey, our service provider is handling the taxes for us. There is the, the USF, the Universal Service Fund fee, um, whereby in certain uh, situations, it is appropriate for your upstream carrier to manage that for you meaning they would charge you the applicable USF fees, you would pay those to your upstream carrier and they would remit those directly to USAC. That is the case as long as you're considered um, de minimis for USF purposes. So then the question is, well, what is de minimis? Um, de minimis is someone that has less than $10,000 per year in contributions to the USF fund. So if you're de minimis, and we'll talk specifically about how to, how to calculate that, but if you are de minimis, you would still need to be registered and you would file zero due reports with USAC, but you would not be considered a direct contributor to the USF fund. You would pay those USF fees to your upstream carrier and they would remit those directly to USAC. So de minimis in terms of the $10,000 of annual, annual contributions, the way that's figured or determined is to take the $10,000 and divide it by the current quarter contribution factor um, with, uh, for, U, for USF purposes. For Q2 of 2023, it's scheduled to be 29%. Um, so what you would do is you would take your $10,000 de minimis line or threshold, divide that by 29%, and you get somewhere in the range of about $34,482. I didn't do that in my head. I had that written down beforehand. 
Um, so you then would, so that would be potential accessible revenue. But if we're looking at this for voice over IP purposes, we would then, and most of the clients that we're working with tend to be in this VoIP space. Um, so that's why we've highlighted VoIP quite a bit here. Um, you would then apply the safe harbor provision, which says 64.9% um, of your accessible revenue would be subject to USF. So take that 34,482, divide that by the 64.9% safe harbor, and that's $53,130. So basically, if you're a VoIP provider and you have $53,000 of um, VoIP revenue over the course of the year, you're now considered non-de minimis. If you're under $53,000, you can get there pretty quickly. If you're under that $53,000 of VoIP revenue over a 12-month period, then you would be in that de minimis category in your USF or your USF would be um, paid to your upstream carrier. So I'm sure that thoroughly confused everybody, but the, the overall issue here in terms of the myth is that for the most part, your upstream service provider, your upstream carrier, you should not rely on them to manage your tax burden for you. It's only applicable in these de minimis scenarios and that's only applicable for USF purposes. Brian, I'm gonna pick up with this last myth of the day. Um, all communication services are taxed the same. Uh, no, that doesn't necessarily play out that way. Um, you know, the, the complexity around telecommunication services when it comes to state and local taxation is, is a combination of things. It's a, a combination of multiple or multitude of tax types, different tax rates, uh, but then the fact exists that there's just a multitude of service types that are out there, uh, whether it be the difference in technology between VoIP, traditional landline, or wireless, or whether it be the core service offering or the uh, sort of vertical offerings that go along with most of our telecommunication services. Uh, they're not all taxed equally. They're not all taxed the same. Brian shared just a little bit of, of some of that variety with within VoIP. Most of the VoIP providers are applying some level of a safe harbor rule to do some of their tax calculations. And that's true at the USF level. It can also be true in the local tax level as well, state and local. Uh, so there's some differences there um, depending how the surface is billed. Is it a postpaid versus prepaid can potentially impact the taxability. Um, there's a multitude of things within the telecom service. And those of you that are of my age um, remember being in college and trying to make calls back home, whether it be to family or girlfriends or boyfriends. And the long distance charge was just something you, you, you couldn't stomach every month. Um, long distance used to be a separately charged item, told and, and billed separately and taxed differently as well. Uh, so a whole lot of change has taken place over the last couple of decades in that regard uh, and continues to change. There's a lot, there's still a lot of innovation in the communications sector um, and we're engaged quite commonly with clients trying to ascertain 
the true tax treatment of a variety of services. Um, I was on a call this morning with a company that provides a type of facsimile services, but it's not the traditional fax services as we all, or maybe a lot of us remember. And most of us that fax today, to the extent you even fax anymore, uh, you're, you're doing it in a cloud fashion, much different than, than it used to happen. Uh, so that brings in some other factors, challenges, and, and tax treatments. So it's important to understand that there, there can be and are generally a variety of service types that have to be taken into consideration, some of which are taxable, some of which may be exempt. And then at the state and local level, well, there can be different rates that apply to different types of services. For example, if you're providing residential services in Florida, you're going to have a different taxing scenario than if you're providing commercial or business services. Uh, same can be said for the E911 fees in Louisiana. There's a difference a lot of times at those very local levels between a business and an individual telecommunications customer, the difference in the rates. Um, to just give you some sense for the variability, you've got, uh, obviously at the macro level, you've got intrastate calls, you've got long distance intrastate calls, local intrastate calls, you've got long distance interstate calls, you have three-way calls, you have international calls, um, and then you get into some of the other verticals or ancillary services, uh, call forwarding, voicemail, text, data, 800 services, 900 services, conference bridging, um, the list goes on and on. And, you know, as we've evolved both technologically and with respect to these different service elements, um, it gets very complicated when you're sitting in front of your computer or sometimes even on your, your cell phone and you start thinking about all the things you're able to do, all the business you're able to conduct uh, through those devices and we're sitting here communicating to everybody right now via computers, laptops. We're communicating to you with data, with pictures. Um, there's questions as to whether or not something like that could be taxable. So the complexity around telecom just goes beyond jurisdictional taxes, tax types. It extends into the technology environment, how you bill for it, whether you bundle it together, whether you have separate charges for it. And cytosine can also be a factor. There's been a lot of regulation around cytosine to try to ease that burden on telecom providers. Um, so that's served the industry well at the federal level. But again, there's just a, a host of challenges. So not all communication services uh, are treated the same from a tax perspective. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. This has been It Depends with another episode explaining the complexities surrounding sales and use tax. We'll see you next time.